This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be reading Acts seventeen sixteen through 21. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Thank you, Kelsey. I wanted to say to the church, uh, thank you for allowing Courtney and I to, and our family to take vacation. And we really enjoyed Gatlinburg. It was, when we went, it was like perfect weather. Every night was in the 60s and 70s, and it was just gorgeous. So thank you for that. I didn't realize how exhausted I was until I came back and people said, wow, you look a whole lot better than you did before you left. So thanks for that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for allowing us to do that. It was a great, great time of rest. Um, all right, so I got a question for you that's going to come off a little hyperbolic, but I want you to think about it for a second. What would you say the most powerful force in the universe is? The most powerful force in the universe. So you think about that for a minute, and you think about, okay, maybe okay, it's got to be something to do with God. God is obviously the most powerful being in the universe, so whatever the force is probably has to emanate from him. So uh, maybe, maybe it's his strength. Maybe that's the most powerful force in the universe, and certainly God's strength is incredible. There's nothing our God cannot do, and he is mighty and strong. So yeah, maybe his strength, but um, maybe his wrath. You think about God's wrath? I don't want to be on the other side of that, for sure. So maybe his wrath is the most powerful thing. And I want to say to you, uh, neither his strength nor his wrath is the most powerful thing about God. I would say the most powerful force in the universe is God's grace. His grace. His love for you. His unmerited favor in your life. Because God's grace directs his strength. God's grace holds back his wrath. God's grace is incredibly powerful. And listen now, if you understand his grace and you begin to live in his grace every day, I am telling you, incredible, powerful changes will occur in your life. And you've probably heard it. Like, like people don't change. No one really changes. Well, God's grace can make incredible changes in you. What you say? Say, in me. Say it. So why am I talking about God's grace uh, in coming into a text like this? Well, you have this story of Paul, and man, Paul is a force to be reckoned with in this text. Like, he's just in Athens waiting for Timothy and Silas to come, and as he's just kind of kicking back and waiting, he sees all of these idols that are in the city, and the text says his spirit was provoked. 
And so what he does is begin just to preach God's word. And he goes to the synagogue like he always does, but not just a synagogue. He goes to the marketplace. And the text says, man, he just shared with whoever happened to be there. And then he goes in front of the philosophers, and then he ends up at the Areopagus, which is like the place to debate ideas and philosophies on the planet, in the world at the time. And he's an evangelistic force boldly standing for Jesus. And I'm sure the temptation of every preacher when you get to a text like this is to say, now you go and be like Paul. You go and do the things that Paul did and don't do the things that Paul didn't do and you be like Paul in your life. And there's something to that. But if I ask you just to muscle up and be like Paul, all I'm doing is laying more law on you. What was it that motivated Paul? What was it that made him who he was? Well, he tells us that clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this. Now, I am the least of the apostles, Paul said, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the, come on, church, grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Now watch this carefully. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So whether then it is I or they, so we preach and so you believed. But was it that motivated Paul? It was his, God's grace. Did Paul think about his failures? Yeah, it's in the text. He's the chief of sinners. But when Paul thought about his failures, he also thought about God's grace. And I'm looking at you, church, in 2022, and as I meet with people and talk with people, and I do a lot, I understand very much that you want to be better than you are. And you want to be better at this Christian life, and you want to not do the things you shouldn't do, and to do the things you should do, and you want all of that. What I'm telling you is that what you need to do to get there is not beat yourself up in guilt. What I'm telling you is to live in, come on church, grace. Paul did, and it was powerful. Now, I want to look at Paul in this text. I want to see what he did. And what we're going to do is kind of construct a sentence as we go along to help us understand if we really live in grace, if we really adopt this grace mentality, what will we be? What will we look like? Well, here it is, right the first part down. With eyes to see the mission. With eyes to see the mission. All right, verse number 16 says this. While Paul was waiting for them, this is for Silas and Timothy, he was waiting for them at Athens. That little phrase has a whole lot of interesting uh, things to it because at this time, Athens is the center really of everything. Um, now, it's kind of waning for decades they have been. This is kind of like the last years of Athens being this place, but it still is. And so uh, the center of art, the center of philosophy, the center of architecture, the center of mathematics, it's kind of all happening here. And there is beautiful art all throughout this city. It's been well attested even by uh, secular historians. There was art all throughout the city. There was beautiful architecture all throughout the city. And Paul had never seen anything like this. And how easy would it be for Paul to get his eyes on those things? But he didn't. 
Albert Barnes said this in his commentary on the Bible. He said this, Athens then had more that was splendid in architecture, more that was brilliant in science, and more that was beautiful in the arts than any other city in the world, perhaps more than all of the rest of the world united. Yet there is no account that the mind of Paul was filled with admiration. There is no record that he spent his time in examining the world of art. There is no evidence that he forgot his high purpose in an idea or useless contemplation of the temples and statuary. His was a Christian mind, and he contemplated all with a Christian heart. By the way, I think it's really interesting that Albert Barnes, writing at the end of the 1700s, uh, his, when he said Christian, it meant something. I think it means something different than what it might mean to a lot of people today. Because to Barnes, Christian meant that you were somebody who lived on the mission of Christ. And you had a heart for the mission of Christ. And certainly Paul had that. And he would not be distracted by all that was in Athens. Now, if Paul had an opportunity to be distracted, um, how about us? Man, we have so much to distract us today. Okay, so I grew up in the 80s, and where I grew up, most people in the 80s, you can test this if you did, uh, you know that really when it came to entertainment, you only had several options. Like most people only had like three or four channels. Now we were, you know, uniquely blessed, and we had cable, so we had like 30 channels. But the problem was, then you're at the mercy of whatever the networks happen to be showing. See, I got 30 channels, but Ghostbusters is on 15 of them. So like, you know, what am I going to watch? And I'm telling you, nowadays, go ahead, take your phone. Where's your phone? You got your phone on you? Pull your phone out. On your phone, you have at your literal fingertips hours and hours and hours of entertainment, TV and movies. And if you spent the rest of your life trying to consume it all, you wouldn't be able to do it. So much content is available. And yeah, we have lots of opportunity to be distracted. We have entertainment distractions. We have family drama distractions. We have work drama distractions. You have your inner turmoil distractions. And I think if we're honest, we have to say that most Christians today live in some level of distraction from the mission. Now, when I say the mission, what I want your mind to never be distracted from is His grace. His grace. God's grace. It's easy to get your eyes on the things that we should not see, but the thing that you should see is the grace of God. Don't let that get out of your eyes. Don't let that get you distracted. Because what, what happens, man, is we love to beat ourselves up. Come on, can I get a witness? We love to do it because we think deep down inside that if I just focus on beating myself up and making myself feel really stupid and really guilty, then maybe I'll do better. But that's not what it is. It's grace. It is grace. And I want you to see and look at and think about the incredible and amazing grace of God. 
What we must not see, what we what not to see is all the distractions that are there. But I do want to show you this, what we need to see or what we must see. And what Paul did see is very convicting. The text says, again, verse number 18 now, um, sorry, 16, verse number 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, I mentioned that there was art all throughout the city, well attested of. In fact, uh, most of that art were statues and icons that they sculpted to either the gods or Greek heroes. And what they would do is they'd put those out on their lawns and put them in the architecture. It was, it was all over the place in, in their songs, in their entertainment, in their literature. All this, this religion, this pagan Greek religion. In fact, one of the uh, secular historians said, said uh, there were more gods than men in Athens. And the city was literally, and in every sense, filled with idols. Do you know that um, Fort Wayne is filled with idols? Now, Pastor, we're the city of churches. Not our city. Well, okay, we need to talk about what an idol is. Okay, so, so focus here for a second. Let's talk about what an idol is. An idol is in a replacement for God, okay? In a replacement for God is an idol. So when we look for something to provide for us, what only God can provide for us, that's an idol. When we look for other things to be our ultimate source of security or comfort or pleasure or significance, those things have become our idols, all right, so let's talk about this for a minute. Is it wrong to watch a TV show that you like? No, absolutely not. In fact, I can watch a TV show, and I can, that's a weird emphasis, TV show. I can watch one of those programs. Uh, I can watch a TV show, and I can uh, give God praise and glory for that show. God, thank you for good storytelling. God, thank you for good acting. And really, you know this, I mean, most of the good stories, the best stories, are really the gospel repackaged. You know, ultimate trouble, everything looks like gloom and doom until the last minute the hero shows up and rescues everything by blowing up the Death Star. You get the idea. It's, it's that story that's told over and over again. And we can look at that and you can say, God, thank you for the gospel. And you can give God ultimate praise. I I can eat good food, and that food could be an idol if I'm asking that food to bring for me ultimate pleasure, or I can eat that food and say, God, thank you for giving someone the idea to fry chicken, because obviously that is from you and you alone. And so, but really, the, the praise ends in God, not in the thing. And we're not looking for the thing to be the ultimate source of pleasure, satisfaction, or whatever. But across our city, there are people who are replacing God for other things. It's not always as obvious as statues on a lawn, but sometimes it's more obvious. So this happened. It says legalize abortion. Now, I want you to know, uh, this did not happen. Uh, this, is, this picture was not taken in New York City was not taken in Chicago or LA. Uh, this was taken here in Fort Wayne yesterday. In fact, this was taken about a mile from where we are right now, Messiah Lutheran Church. 
a pro-abortion rally got, you know, fired up, and then they went out and they vandalized uh, the property at Messiah Lutheran. I had to call folks and say, hey, would you head over to our church to be sure that I'm not seeing a big white canvas here that someone would be like, oh, I want to paint that. And uh, um, so this is, this is absolutely happening. Now, there's a lot of things to say about this. First of all, I hate to say it, but it's true that uh, to write legalized abortion in Indiana is a little silly because abortion is legal in Indiana still. Now, I'm praying that that ends. And I want you to pray that that ends. And uh, hopefully soon uh, that there's a special um, state, um, I can't think of the right words, but special session. I knew Kristen would know. Special session. Uh, and then that, so we're praying that maybe uh, some things can happen even there. Uh, so so that, that's one thing to note. I think something else to note is that they didn't do this uh, against Messiah Lutheran. Because even, even if it was, wasn't, it wasn't, if it was illegal in Indiana, what can they do about it? Nothing. This wasn't against Messiah Lutheran. This was absolutely someone saying, I don't like the law of God. In fact, I had some liberal friends on Facebook say that very thing. We follow this law, picture of the Constitution, not this law, picture of the Bible. And this is absolutely a defiance against God. And you also need to know that no one gets away with that. No one gets away with murdering innocent babies. No one gets away with any of that. They will stand before a holy God one day. You track with me on this? They will stand before a holy God one day, and one of two things will happen. Either they'll be condemned to hell for their sin, or if they've received Jesus Christ as their Savior in their life, they'll be forgiven. And I'm not, I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm telling you, I want the latter. I want them to hear about Jesus and to come to repentance. Do you know there are probably thousands of women in the city of Fort Wayne that have had abortions? And I hate abortion. Can I get a witness? It's sin. But as much as I hate the sin, my heart needs to break with compassion for the sinner. And to believe with all my heart that God can win them. God's grace is that powerful. There is no one beyond God's reach. And God can reach these women. And our, the church now needs to be more than ever stepping up and saying, let's get the, because the gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer for the young teen who's found herself pregnant out of wedlock. In the past, the church has not handled that great. Can I just be honest about that? And handling it well is not saying it's not sin, and it's certainly not saying go kill your baby. Handling it well is saying, yes, it's sin, and when you repent, you get the grace of God. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Come on, church, say it. It's grace. And I want us to be a church that is so fired up about now. How do I get there? How do, how do I, because my natural inclination when I see these rallies and these things going on, my heart is stirred to anger. And I'm like, come on, how can you think that way? How can you be like that? And I got to remember, they're caught in sin. And my heart needs to quickly move to they need grace. And God, let me be a mouthpiece to speak to those who need it the most to tell them about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right.
kind of church I want to be. It's the kind of person I want to be. And only, listen now, if you, we have to be very careful not to be the Pharisee. We've got to be the tax collector. The Pharisee said, thank you, God, but I am not like. And the tax collector said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because yes, our city is full of idols. Our homes are filled with idols. We have God replacements. We got other things to be our ultimate source of satisfaction and comfort and security and pleasure and significance. We do that. And when you live forgiven and loved in the grace of God, man, then you've really lived that and you're thinking about that every day and you're getting up and you're remembering his grace and you're remembering his grace. You're going to want to share that grace. Number two, with eyes to see the mission and a boldness to seize the opportunity, and a boldness to seize the opportunities. What I want you to do is look at verse number 17, if you would, please. Verse number 17 in the text. So, so far, we've made it all the way through verse uh, 16. <clears throat> now, verse 17. So he reasoned, now watch this, there's kind of three different um, layers here, three different kind of groups that uh, Paul uh, preaches to. So he reasoned with the, the, in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons. So he's going to the, where he always went, to the Jews, and chances are he's saying, hey, y'all are waiting around for a Messiah, guess what, he's come, and his name is Jesus. Probably something like that, and if anybody could explain from the Old Testament who Jesus was, it was Paul, who was very well versed in all those things. So that was one place to him, but check this out now, uh, into verse number 17, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Love that. Chances are this is the Agora, which was a marketplace, kind of like imagine a massive farmer's market where people would come, and that's what this was like, and chances are Paul was there, and he's just going to this big marketplace with lots of people, and whoever happened to be there, man, he was just preaching Jesus to them. You're, you're worshiping idols. Stop worshiping the idols. There's a true God. There's salvation and forgiveness in Christ. I know I'm the chief of sinners, and I found forgiveness. You can find it too. He's preaching Jesus to them. And also to these uh, philosophers, verse number 18, uh, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. Now, we can dive down rabbit trails and talk about Epicureans and Stoics. Let me just summarize it. Epicureans believed that the way to live was living in what feels good, all the pleasures, all the things. The Stoics believed just the opposite. You have to have self-discipline and hold yourself back. And, and by the way, which one was right? Neither were right. <laughs> I think um, sometimes church people believe the Stoics were right, and then others believe, no, man, live what feels good, and neither are right. Jesus is the answer to their problems. And so uh, there's that, and then he ends up at the Areopagus. So there's just all kinds of people Paul was preaching to, every opportunity, every opportunity. So then how does that apply to you and me? Now, this is Paul, and you need to keep in mind this is Paul's calling and what Paul did with his life. He was a missionary. This is what he did. And, and I know that a lot of us, we're missionaries too, but not quite the same as Paul, and we live a life. And I, I think that what we need to do is consider what Jesus said uh, to his disciples in Matthew 28. I've talked about it a lot, but I'll mention it again, where he said, go and make disciples. Go there for and make disciples. A better translation is, as you are going, make disciples. So listen, as you are going in your life, as you live your life, as you live your life. How many of you are going to live life this week? 
well, you think so, but we'll see. Oh, you know, the Lord will. But no, we're, we're going we're to try tomorrow to get up and maybe go to school, go to work, do our thing. And listen, as you are going, look for the opportunities of sharing Jesus Christ. Look for them. They are there. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. And I really believe there are people all around us that are ready to hear the gospel. If we have eyes to see it, if we're looking up, not distracted, the opportunities will come. So how do you do that? I'm going to get up and preach the gospel tomorrow. I'm going to get up and preach the gospel tomorrow. Everybody, everybody's going to hear it. Good morning, wife. Guess what? You're a sinner. You need Jesus. <laughs> I get blamed a lot for things that Dream Jamie does. It just reminded me of that. Like, you know this? Dream Jamie gets in a lot of trouble. It gets me in a lot of trouble. Pray for Dream Jamie's salvation, would you? He really needs to be saved. Uh, but how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you muscle through and get through these things? Um, okay, I'm going to share something with you. And um, I know that you're going to think I'm a total geek for this, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. I have a new hobby that I'm really, really getting into. It's a hobby called uh, it's, it's tabletop wargaming. Okay, tabletop wargaming. <laughs> I got a guy. All right, I got one guy or one girl, something. But uh, so tabletop work is a lot of fun. And all this stuff, um, I, I built that during my vacation. So this is part of what I did my second part of my vacation. Uh, we paid you for that, kind of. Uh, but uh, so like, like all, but everything's a handmade. So like, like the, sod, the, the, the grass is all sawdust that I painted different colors. And uh, this is all like foam, styrofoam and pink insulation foam that people gave me. And I was able just to make that all into rocks and hills and, 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 and you get little miniature guys and you, and you have sophisticated adult uh, war games on this board. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a ton of fun. I mean, I've been going around to people and people, you know, like, hey, check this out. Look what I did. I made this stuff. Isn't it cool? And, uh, and I know. They're going to think I'm a little geeky, and, and I know I am. I mean, there's geek, and then there's geek, and then there's people who do tabletop wargaming. I mean, I get it, uh, but, but, but I'm, I couldn't wait to share it. I couldn't wait to share it. Why? Because I'm having so much fun, and I enjoy it so much. And we have believed for, and we preachers have believed for a long time the way to get people to preach the gospel is by guilting them into it. You know what? Here's this. You will never share the gospel out of guilt but you will share the gospel out of gratitude and excitement. Okay, look at me now. One of the reasons we don't preach the gospel more as we are going is because we're not enjoying the gospel more every day in our life. I think one of the key reasons. I think the enemy gets your eyes on other stuff it maybe even makes you doubt God's incredible grace for you. I want to tell you, it's true. He's that good. He's that loving. He's that forgiving. And when we just live every day in his grace and his goodness, that gratitude will pour out and help us to seize every opportunity. Yes, it's a Star Wars game. Okay, I admit it. Fine, that's it. All right, number three. All right, with the eyes to see the mission and a boldness to seize the opportunity, number three, write it down. Let's share Jesus. Uh, let's share Jesus. 
Uh, okay, this is really uh, important to see this. Okay, so in verse number 18, so let's go into some word study here in the text a little bit. And I want your eyes to fall on verse number uh, six, 17, where the text says, so he reasoned, see the word reason there. Okay, so what exactly is he doing in the synagogues and in the marketplace and with the uh, philosophers and on the Aragopagus? What exactly is he doing? Well, in verse number um, uh, 19, no, I'm sorry, the end of verse number 18, it says it better. So 18, some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? I'll get to that in a minute. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Now here it is, because, here it was, he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So what was he doing? What was the reasoning? He was preaching Jesus. Now there's a lot of words in the Greek language that, you tra- that we translate preaching, a caruso means to proclaim or to call out. This word, however, is uh, a word that literally means to tell of the good news or to proclaim the good news. Eangelion, to, to proclamate, to, to, to speak out the good news of Jesus Christ. So what's the good news about Jesus? You're a wretched sinner. You deserve hell. But Jesus died for your sin and rose again. And when you ask by faith, he will forgive you. The forgiveness of sins, God's grace, that is the good news. And that's what Paul was preaching. He was sharing Jesus. And I'm telling you straight up, it's not what they wanted. The text says what they wanted. Take a look at verse number 21. It's interesting how Luke ends this section when he says this. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. We don't want to hear something old. We want to hear something new. We want to hear ideas that somebody else has. We want to hear unique, new thoughts, new things. Impress us with your new intellect. And Paul's like, I know you want that, but you don't need that. It might be what you want, but it's not what you need. I need to give you what you need. They wanted something new. What they needed was Jesus. Paul was living out what he told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, where he said this, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I only got one answer for you. And that answer is Jesus. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, look at me now. What do you really believe the answer for the world is today? Look at me, come on. I want, you got to be with me on this. What do we really, really believe the answer for the world is today? Because look, everybody agrees, man. Even, even secular uh, people know our world is broken. And we need some help. And for a long time, what we thought we needed was world peace. Right? Remember the Miss America pageants of old? <laughs> Oh, world peace was the answer to every question. And we thought that would just bring it about. Peace in the Middle East. I heard that growing up. Peace with Russia all throughout my growing up in the 80s. And uh, um, how's that going? So world peace is not the answer. In my 20s and 30s, I heard a lot of this. Tolerance is the answer. We got to tolerate one another. If we could just tolerate each other. You're like, I have a hard time tolerating people in my home, let alone people down the street. Now, I wouldn't say that because, you know, my home is perfect, but your home, on the other hand. And tolerance didn't stay tolerance. 
Tolerance became acceptance, which is different. That moved to championing other people's thoughts and ideas, which I cannot do. All the thoughts and ideas that are out there, can I get a witness? This next one's a little tricky because nowadays this is pretty big, equality. Equality, because here's why it's tricky. Equality is a biblical issue. It's a biblical principle. We're all equal. Do you know that? You okay with that? All races are equal. We've all been created in the image of God. The Imago Dei gives us our worth. All right. We're different. Men and women are different. I give you a spot for an amen. Amen. All right. But we're equal. But is equality the answer? No, we can all treat each other equally and still be lost sinners going to hell. Now, when you get into the Christian world, we have a couple things too. A Christian nation. Maybe if we can get America back to being a Christian nation, that's the answer. Now, listen, there's some good things with being a Christian nation. But here's the deal. More than I want a Christian nation, I want a nation full of Christians. Because if we're following even good laws, but we don't know Jesus, that's not the answer. So more than a Christian nation, I want a nation full of Christians. Let's get the gospel out. Here's another one we can tend to fall into if we're not careful, a godly family. And I I, want to be a godly man. Courtney is a godly woman. I want to raise godly kids. This is especially important, godly kids. I hope my kids can be godly. Um, But the point is, is that godliness there's a lot of good things that can come from a home where a father is a father and a mother is a mother and the kids, but is a godly family the answer for the world today? No, a godly family is a result of the answer. The answer is the gospel. And by the way, is there a perfectly godly family on the planet? Everybody say no. <laughs> and my hope is not that one day I'll be godly and my glory is that I have Jesus when I'm not. And the fact that I have his grace makes me motivated to be even more godly because I have his grace. All right, what do we think the answer is? I hope you understand it's Jesus. And let's give them Jesus because really, that is the answer. Church, listen to me now. The problem is not war. The problem is not bigotry. The problem is not inequality. The problem is sin. And the answer to sin is grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we gotta be hanging on to and pushing, pushing forward. So I want to live enamored with grace. I want to live motivated by grace and see God work in his grace. Let's share Jesus. And then lastly, write this down. With eyes to see the mission and a boldness to seize the opportunities, let's share Jesus. Lastly here, regardless of the results. Let me show you this in the text. Let your eyes fall on verse number 18 now again. So we're going to jump back just to, just a, a couple of verses to 18, you know, and, and look at their response. So again, some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also converse with them, and some say, what does this babbler wish to say? Isn't that interesting? So one response was that. So this word babbler is very, very interesting in the original language. That Warren Wearsby defines the word this way. He says this, the word literally means birds picking up seed, and it refers to someone who collects various ideas and teaches as his own the secondhand thoughts he borrows from others. 
You don't have an original thought. You're not smart enough to come up with anything on your own. You just take what other people say. And for them, that was like the insult of all insults. Why? Because remember, 21, they loved something new. And so they were saying to Paul, you're just a babbler. You just rely on that Old Testament. You just rely on that Jewish literature that you have there. And, and what do you know? And so some mocked. Some were curious and they questioned. Uh, verse says, others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears and we wish uh, therefore uh, to know what these things mean. So they had these questions along the way. That was interesting. But I want you to jump down to the end of this chapter. Look at verse 32 to see where it all ends. This is really, really... Um, hopefully challenging a little bit to us. Verse number 32. Now, when they heard the resurrection from the dead, here it is, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed, among whom were also some Greek people with hard names to pronounce. So um, you get the idea that, that there was mocking, there was questioning, and only a few people believed. Look, compare this to what happens in um, Acts 2, where Peter preached, and thousands come to know Jesus. And here, just a handful. Now, some of the commentators look at this and say, well, Paul failed here. This is Paul's failure. And I want to say, well, you don't understand how spreading the gospel works. <laughs> Because Paul will say this later to the church in Corinth. He says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but read this with me, but God gave the growth. Why is that the truth? Well, so that neither he who plants is anything or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We are people who get really caught up in what other people like and, and want. And we want to be a part of what everybody else likes or wants. And so when there's a lot of people, it must be successful. And when there's few people, it must be not successful. And we have measured success this way. And I'm telling you, you cannot do that with gospel ministry. You can't do that with church ministry. Just because lots of people attend doesn't mean it's right. And few people attend, that means it's wrong. Who knows? Only God gives the increase. Jesus himself gave the illustration of a sower sowing seeds. And of the seeds that were sown, three of the four had no fruit. Only one did. But one did. But some believed. We have to trust in our God is what it all is about. I have to trust God that when I plant He's going to do something with it for his glory. In my job, I can't control how many people believe or how big a church is, and i got to fight with this every Sunday. I can't, I can't control those things. All I can do is just do what God has called me to do and spread the seed. And then if I really believe he's a God of goodness and a God of grace, and I trust him what he'll do with the seed. My mentor told me when I was just getting into ministry, he said, Jamie, as a pastor, you're going to have to learn to have joy in the sowing and trust God for the reaping. You're going to have to learn to, tr to have joy in the sowing, but trust God in the reaping. And I think it's really true. Um, we're not on the trajectory for the church to become more popular in America. 
we're on the opposite track. And we're going to be okay with that because we have his grace, because we've been forgiven, because we've been loved. And we're just going to be a church that stands in his grace. So here's what I want to do as we end. I'm going to pray. I want you to pray along in your heart with me. And here's the thing I want us to pray for. God, open my eyes to see new depths of your grace for me. It's a really simple prayer. God, open my eyes to see more depths of your grace for me because I believe when you live in that grace, all these things come along. When we live in his grace, we're going to have eyes to see the mission, a bones to seize the opportunity. We're going to share Jesus and we're going to trust God for the results. So Father, we just come to you and we ask that very thing. Lord, your grace is incredible and it's hard to believe. As much as we preach it here, Father, it is still, you're still showing me depths of where I doubt it. But Lord, your grace is there. It's sufficient and it's incredible. And I pray, Father, as we learn to live more and more in that grace, that that'll move us and motivate us to be a people on mission. Father, would you give us eyes to see greater depths of your grace for us? And then, Father, let us spread those, that grace out to our city for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.